Coach Rob, back on the podcast today. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm doing good, buddy. Thanks so much for having us back on. I miss talking to you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you carving out the time. Absolutely, anytime. What have you been up to? I see you've been, look like you've been on the road a little bit, getting some other podcasts done, which is cool. Yeah. Um, for those of you that follow me on social media, this will be a redundant conversation. Uh, but essentially, we had the privilege, we got invited to a Whiskey Throttle with uh, Grant Langston and David Pingry. And we also got invited out to Daniel Blair's main event moto. So those requests literally came within a day of one another. And uh, they were actually asked of us back at the beginning of the year. So Lord knows, nobody knew this whole uh, virus situation was going to manifest itself. So uh, we thought the quickest and the easiest way to get out there without making ourselves sick or anybody else is we would just drive. So we uh, packed up, headed west. We lived out of our truck, literally. We ate out of our cooler, uh, slept on an air mattress, and we drove. By the time we got out to California and then got back, we had, I think it was 110 plus hours windshield time. And I don't know the conversion on kilometers right off the top of my head, but it was... uh, I think it was about 7,200 miles was our total drive time. Yeah, right. so, that's a big, big day. It was, <laughs> but uh, it was very good. And it was a, it was a privilege to be with those guys. Cause as you and I talk about all the time, I'm, I'm still as much of a fan of the sport as I am. You know, I try to be a contributor to the sport in some way, but uh, to be able to, I hadn't had a chance to spend time with David Pingry uh, to be able to spend time with him and his daughters. And then as everybody knows, Grant Langston's pretty funny to be around. And uh, Daniel Blair and producer Joe in the back cave, that was cool. Then on the way back, we did a live Coach Rob podcast. We did a uh, podcast on women's health, wellness, and performance. So on the Coach Rob podcast, that'll break here in the next couple of days. Now here we are. Got a chance to talk to yourself. And uh, I appreciate your patience with the time difference and all. So um, I always enjoy the feedback from your listeners. It's, it's kind of cool because each podcast of course, there's always going to be a little bit of an overlap, but it's pretty cool how the, the characteristics of the listeners are just a little bit different, whether it be questions or frustrations. So I always enjoy being back on the on the on on your show. Yeah, thank you. I, I've, I've really enjoyed listening to those other podcasts too. There's good, great content in there for sure. Yeah, there's, you know, we, we talk a lot about it when you look at, uh, well, when we were with you back in January, the Gypsy Tales podcast with Todd Waters hit. I thought that was awesome because I never realized how humble Todd was. He's such a badass on the bike, but very, yeah, very humble. I love that. Yeah, legitimate questions I think everybody can benefit from. Then you get out to Whiskey Throttle and you get David Pingry, you know, with Pro Circuit, obviously managing the Troy Lee Designs team. Then you have Grant Langston, multi-time world champion, outdoor champion. And yet when you talk to those guys, they're so grounded and down to the, you know, ground, grounded and the questions they ask, all of us can relate to. And if you listen to the shows, I think it was a kind of a consensus amongst everybody that they wish they knew now what, you know, if they knew then what they know now is even though it's a bad cliche and as physiology. And I think that's what's so cool about what you're doing in Australia is there's such a need for the knowledge. And like we said, if we can get, the nippers involved all the way up to the weekend warrior and obviously everything in between, including pros, we can increase the longevity of the sport and, and people can have more fun with it. We can start moving more bikes and get more people riding at the tracks and let's, let's get the excitement back on a dirt bike. So I, yeah, I think 100%. it's really cool. They bring perspective that I don't think anybody else really understands. So hope everybody listened to it and got something out of it. I know I did talking to them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll bet. 
So that's, I thought I would start off something today sort of around the, the, the virus thing. Sure, um, sure. So I guess what I wanted to perhaps touch on was how it can or how people can sort of modify their training for, to, to suit what's going on. Um, one of the things I guess I've, I guess I've learned from just spending a little bit of time with you, which I've been lucky to do, is you're really good at um, maintaining a positive outlook or re- reframing things in a positive light, I would, sh- I would I say. So I at, at the moment, like we've, we've been gifted an extra three months essentially of a preseason. So you and I might look at that and go, fuck yeah, we just got an extra three months to train. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people I'm speaking to are like falling off the wagon. They've got, they've lost their motivation because that, that external goal, I suppose of the race, we don't know when it's actually going to be now. So sure. um, how, how do you sort of look at that in terms of how, not just maintaining motivation, but how do you sort of modify your training with what's going on at the moment? I think the most important thing to step back is ask yourself, is this a lifestyle or is this something that you're only motivated by the race itself? You know, working with the pros that I've had the privilege of work with, and I'll keep it in the realm of motocross. It's no secret. I've talked about it numerous times. I've asked the pros, why are you doing this? I think it goes right back to what you're saying. I think all the all the listeners need to ask themselves, why do you get up every morning and do fill in the blank? Why do you go to the job you go to? Why do you stay in the relationship you're in? Why do you put yourself through the, let's call it discomfort of strength training, cardiovascular, foam rolling, stuff that's not very enjoyable at times. And when we think that we only need to have, you know, there's got to be this carrot at the end, Trust me, I'm all about there needs to be a reward for the effort, but I think there's been a little bit of a paradigm shift where if there's not this reward, carrot, that a boy, you're good, you're a stud, you're a studette, all of a sudden now we don't have the motivation. And I would ask people to change their paradigm just a little bit. Do this for yourself. Do it because, and I I do not want to sound cynical, and I've said it a lot this past month. I find it awfully interesting and almost humorous that it's taken a pandemic to get people to understand the importance of not overtraining, the importance of a strong immune system. You know, you and I, we've had great conversations in your show previously about the importance of sleep. And yet people say, oh, that's just pie in the sky. You know, anything over seven hours, there's no way. Well, now you put yourself into a situation where without having a strong immune system, and I hope your listeners understand, sleep drives the strength of the immune system. Your clean eating habits, I don't even like to use the word healthy because healthy, people think it's tree bark. We're not insinuating that. When you look at the magnitude of benefits of fruits and vegetables, some of it's obvious, high in natural electrolytes necessary for muscle contraction high in water. So you're pre-hydrated all the time. When you look at the fact that the fruits and vegetables are high in vitamins and minerals, well, those are catalysts to creating energy. When you look at the fruits and vegetables are high in vitamins and minerals, which strengthens your immune system. Why would you not eat fruits and vegetables for snacks? Do we have options? Absolutely. But if you look at just those, you know, half a dozen benefits, you think to yourself, why would you not And that's the way I want people to think. Why would I not do this? You and I talked about this off the record. To me, nothing is more aggravating than complacency. Knowing what 
to do, at some point in your career, experience the benefits of doing it, and then just saying, you know what, screw it, I'm not going to do it. That's that's where I would want your listeners to kind of start. Don't look at it as you've got to have a carrot. Ask yourself, is this a lifestyle? Because, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but, and I want the listeners to understand we haven't talked about this, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you really don't need to worry about the virus. Oh, 100%. I'm I'm not worried about the virus. And I don't want the... Yeah, and I don't want the new listener to hear you and I for the first time and go, man, what a bunch of prima donnas. They don't think they're, you know, they think they're immune to it. No, I don't, but I'm not afraid of it. And as we've talked at other times, I look at this as I get to cash in on a dividend. Um, I'm going to be 51 next week. And, you know, you look at that and I'm like, okay, so I've spent 37, 38 years of my life not always you know, chasing a world championship or doing just, it's a lifestyle. I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday and he said, Hey man, what are you training for? And I said, to be honest with you, we travel so much. I really can't commit to a race because I get an impromptu. uh, I get an impromptu invite. I'm going to go there because I'd rather serve more people than just, I can't because I got to go do a race. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's what he and I were talking about. I said to him, I said, hey, look, his name is Scoo Scott Devlin. I said, hey, Scoomeister. I said, you know, it's it's a lifestyle for us. And it always has been. And he said the same thing. He happens to be a musician at Walt Disney World. And he said, look, you know, it's what I do. It's not who I am. It's what I do. And that's what I want your listeners to understand is the same way you go to work, the same way you're a partner, the same way you're a parent, the same way you all these little titles and hats that we wear. Just take on the role and responsibility of I take an active role in my health. It doesn't need the virus to shed light on it. Some people think you and I are crazy because even though we've been confined to some small areas, we're still getting it done. And I know not everybody has a privilege of having a full-blown gym in their house like you do. Okay. But you and I talked about this via text message. People can buy stretch cords. People can do push-ups. People can do walking lunges. Um, if you can buy a jump rope, uh, you can. If you can't buy a jump rope because the supplies are gone, you can do military spiders. You can do jumping jacks. You can do stars. You, I mean, there's a multitude of things you can do. I don't know um, if you follow him or not, but he calls himself the professor. He actually manages Team Rockstar. He's responsible for all the riders, pro and amateur. Yeah. If you get a chance, if you look at his Instagram, he had this picture. And it was all black, excuse me, it was all red. And what he did was he ran five miles in his backyard. Yeah, right. Going from fence to fence to fence in every (laughs) direction possible, laterally, forwards, backwards. And his point was, and I love what he said, is he said, my only reason for showing this is to show you there's no excuses. He got five miles in his backyard. Now, I don't know what the magnet, you know, the the girth of his, his backyard was, but it didn't look very big. (laughs) <laughs> so it looks like somebody playing volleyball is what it looked like. I mean, it, it looked pretty small and tight, but his point was, you know, you spend enough time moving and you can get it done. We all have neighborhoods. We can walk around. We can walk around our own house if you're not comfortable being around other people. But when you start to realize there are no excuses, you can get it done for sure. Oh, hundred percent. I think that that's a big, a big lesson for sure. You can certainly get a, a challenging and productive workout done with just your own body weight for sure. That's something I've learned in this because I've had to sort of change programs for people, some of my clients, and 
So I've been testing them and doing them myself or doing them with them and I'm like, shit, these are actually pretty freaking hard. Like when you do a body oh, weight, yeah. you, you don't need a heavy barbell or, or weights to, to get a really good workout. So again, it comes back to what you said. It comes back to that reason why. Like if, if, you, if you don't have that reason why, you're going to find excuses every day of the week. Um, so getting really clear on that is going to be the, the key to moving forward. Well, and just to follow up on that thread of thought, when I did ask the pros why they do what they do, and most of the listeners could probably finish my sentence before I finish it, they always say, for the money. And that's, full, that's, that's completely fine. That's legit. I turn it back on them and I say, how much is enough? And not one pro has ever been able to answer that question. And when I say pro, yes, I'm talking motocross, but we work with Formula One drivers. We work with professional wakeboarders. We work with, I mean, our, our portfolio of athletes is in every single sport, literally from BMX to F1 to NASCAR to moto. I'm not, I don't say that boastfully. My point is not one person's ever been able to say I need X amount of dollars and then I'll be content. Why do I, why do I share that with your listeners? Because if you keep moving the carrot, and you never feel satisfied, you give up. Yeah. That's why I think there's got to be a reward. If you can finally get under 23 minutes for a 5K run, what's your reward? Because you obviously are going to work hard to get under that, but what's your reward? Most of us like a finisher's medal. Some of us like you know, a finish line photo. I'm not judging it saying it's right or wrong. It's not my, what I call the currency. What's your currency? Hmm. If you're if your partner said you could never finish a 5k and you do that finisher medal has a, that currency of that medal is a lot more than somebody that's finished 35 Ks and doesn't think anything about it. So I always want to put it in the currency. Like you said, why are you putting yourself, why do you have to be creative? Cause you matter your health and your wellness is worth it. But if, if the listeners will stop and ask themselves, why the hell am I doing fill in the blank? Well, going to this job, I think a lot of people are realizing their job sucks. They don't like their job. They may not even go back to their job. Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be more good comes out of it than bad. If, if all the listeners would please turn off the television and quit buying into the media hype, we literally yeah. just, yeah, we spent 22 days driving from Florida to California and from California back to Florida we saw nine people total. And you got to remember, it was GL, DJ Donnie, David Pingry, David Iser, producer Joe, Daniel Blair. And we saw a couple other people out of three weeks. Yeah. Every single gas station we went to was filled to the gills. Every single grocery store we went to filled to the gills. The people that think the world's coming to an end that are listening and watching the television they just need to stay home and live in fear and pandemonium. The rest of us who are responsible, we don't sneeze in our hands and shake hands. We don't sneeze and not wash our hands. We don't go to the restroom and not wash our hands. We are the same active, responsible people that have been out there for the last, again, I'm going to show my age, 40 years. Just simply be responsible, be polite. You know, you and I talked about this off the record. I got into, almost into a fist fight with a guy coming back from Australia because the guy just sat on a plane for 22 hours, used the restroom and started to walk out of the restroom. And I said, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And of course he wants to, he wants to fight. It was an American guy. He immediately wants to fight. And I'm like, dude, that is disgusting. 
But that was before the coronavirus even hit. This was back in January. Yeah, yeah. You and I would not think about going to the restroom and not washing our hands, just like we wouldn't think about not getting up and eating good foods. Now, as everybody knows, we don't try to live in glass houses, but our behavior, this is what I'm trying to get at, is our behavior matches our desirable outcome. Whether it's make $5 million or make $5, it doesn't matter. Our behavior matches our desirable outcome. You know, your bond's partner and you pour into that. Your little guys, you're their dad. You pour into that. You take the title of dad and partner seriously and your behavior emulates that. For all the listeners, if you care about feeling better and you want to be immune to, hate to say it, if you want to be immune to viruses similar to this that are going to come down the pipe eventually, go get it, you know? So I think it's, I think it's cool. Don't look at, you need to have that reward just to say that it's worth doing it. Your health and wellness is worth doing it. And I know that's easy to say, but Hey, start somewhere. Yeah. hundred percent. I would agree for sure. That, that's what the big message I try and get across to my guys is that like at the moment we might have a, a, a goal of a race that we're training towards, but when that ends, that doesn't mean the training ends. Like perhaps the, the volume and intensity might change or decrease. But if we still have that, that I guess that long-term goal of our health and our, our longevity, then the training becomes something that we just do as a part of that. Like you said, it, it's what we do. And add one more component, crossing that finish line should be the reward. Win, lose, or draw doesn't yeah. matter. Understand that that is an incredible privilege to toe the line, finish, and then evaluate and say, hey, did I really race to my potential? But never forget, that is the reward. Whether you get a, a trophy, whether you get a paycheck, or you get a bonus check, that should never be the focus. It's easier said than done, but I think it's imperative. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that that's another lesson we can take away out of this is just how lucky we are to get to go and do a race. Like, yeah. right now, we, we can't. And people are people are finding that quite challenging because we, like, we woke up one morning and the government said, okay, you can't ride your dirt bike, you can't have races. It's been stripped from us. So how grateful are we going to be now to get to actually just go and do a race? Like, Well, I don't know if you heard me say this. I believe I was talking about it on Gypsy Tales. We don't realize that our pancreas allows us to eat junk food. Yeah. Just for the listener, your pancreas produces insulin, which allows you to absorb sugar. If you know anybody who's a diabetic, their pancreas doesn't work, especially if they're type one that have to use a pump. And I, I don't want that to sound cynical, but we don't realize how much we stress and take for, take for granted what our body does do to adapt and overcome. And like you said, now all of a sudden the privilege of riding a dirt bike is the organs been removed and now we're being allowed, we're getting a replacement and we'll have a new appreciation for it for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So if we, cause I guess some people are struggling with motivation train. There's like quite a few people who are still got the hammer down and are smashing it. So in, in that regard, like there's obviously people who are still training. So we've been gifted an extra at least three months we really don't know it could be more (laughs) so what in 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 if we're looking at it that way how should people sort of be managing their their and i guess what i'm getting at is their intensity training because we know that smashing yourself with high intensity workouts your immune system is going to be depleted for a couple of days gonna like if we think about that the bucket or the four quadrants of stress as you talk about it we're essentially pulling that fire hydrant out and 
and filling that up. Yeah. So what should people sort of be looking at there now that we have got an extra three months perhaps until the first race, how should our intensity be managed? I think the key is to look back and, and if you are not doing what we're going to talk about, please don't take this as a kick in the shins, just kind of start changing the way you do things. If you've fallen under that, under that, or it fallen into that trap rather that high intensity training is the key recognize that it's not sustainable. I, I find, and again, I don't want a new listener to think, man, he is a total prick because he's always being cynical about it. We can sit and talk all day long about high levels of oxidative stress. We could talk about the damage of free radicals. We can talk about all the damage of high intensity training. We don't want to wait until an athlete is trying to maintain this high level of peak performance and find that all of a sudden when we get to go back racing, two weeks before they crash and burn going, man, I was a great trainer, but now I'm not ready to race. Well, let's, let's kind of take that and reverse it. If you're spending, and I'm going to use a very, very loose percentage here today. Let's say that you spend 75% of your volume aerobic and 25% anaerobic. It's going to be a manageable percentage. What if you bump that up to 80% aerobic, 20% anaerobic? It's going to be very attainable. Yeah. You may, you and I have talked about this before, and we've talked about it on your show. Until you can go long and slow, you can't go short and fast. So it's always more important to maintain an aerobic engine and a strength base because give you six weeks, give you eight weeks, I can bring speed back. Mm. The problem is, is it takes six months to build an aerobic engine. That's that's the aha I want the listener to have. If you've built a strength base and if you've built an aerobic engine. I can rev the engine and I can drop that in with three intervals, six intervals, eight intervals, and I can slowly ramp up that lactate tolerance. However, if you're not physically strong, you can't go fast. If you don't have an aerobic engine, you can't sustain it to go fast. So your frustration is you think to go short and fast is the only way to go short and fast, where you're really undermining the foundation of that 80%. Focus on strength functional movement as one unit, focus on that aerobic engine, high quality eating. The reason why I focus on the high quality eating is because fruits and vegetables are an antioxidant. Let's think about this. When you and I are hauling the mail and our heart rate goes up, we use more and more oxygen. Well, a negative byproduct of that is oxidative stress, free radicals. This is where I want the listener to understand when someone says a fruit and a vegetable is an antioxidant, now you know where oxidant comes from, oxidative stress. So if you put this in full circle, eating fruits and vegetables because it's healthy and all the things that we teased about at the beginning of today's show, there's a multitude of benefits associated with it. Now you're putting it in the realm of health, wellness, and ultimately performance. If they're doing 80% aerobic, they're not creating all this metabolic byproduct. If you're sitting with your bike and on the stand and you're just holding it wide open, we all can relate to if our hands sitting there behind the pipe, there's all this combustion and byproduct. Well, when you jack your heart rate up, you're creating all this metabolic byproduct. The difference is, is we're a closed circuit versus an open circuit. Yeah. We talked about this on a couple of the podcasts. Yeah. So what I want the listeners to understand on your show is, hey, if I err on the side of caution and I stay focused on functional strength and flexibility 
and I keep the intensity level, I'm going to use just a loose number of 80% aerobic, when it does come time to drop it in 1 and 2K intervals, when it does take time to drop in a 5 or a 1,000 meters on the rower, your body's like, okay, yeah, there's a little bit of an acclimation because you're kind of shocking the system a little bit, but please think about this. If 20% of your weekly volume is already anaerobic, it's not like a complete shell shock to the system. Correct, yeah. It's beyond the scope of our podcast here together, but you and I have talked about it off the record. What is that magical number of anaerobic to aerobic exercise? Is it 33% anaerobic to aerobic? Is it 80-20? Is it 75-25? You'll have somebody that will try to get super scientific on you and I, and they'll come up with some percentage based off of some formula. Go for it. That's not the world you and I live in. You and I look at, all right, here's the weekly volume that you're doing, X amount of hours, X amount aerobic, X amount anaerobic. And then that's one of the things I love about you is how you break down their sleep. Are you absorbing what you're doing? You could take three athletes and have three different percentages of aerobic to anaerobic and all three of them are excelling that's what makes you such a great coach is you're not just saying oh here's one shoe fits all here's one formula fits all it's those biofeedback indicators of life all the different stress categories and then you come in and say hey look let's try to go 10 by 2k and then you evaluate was that good because you've got thick enough skin to say hey maybe we should have done eight next week we're going to go back to eight because you got cratered after 10 doesn't mean that you won't get to 10 and that's what i that's what makes you so unique as a coach is it's not just taking one formula and saying stuff it in there and hope it works so i would always encourage people err on the side of caution let the majority of your strength be excuse me the more the majority of your time be strength-based and aerobic engine now for those that are super smart in your listening database Yes, we, you and I recognize that strength training is anaerobic by nature. That's the danger. When we're saying 75, 80% aerobic, you got to remember your strength is getting into that category of anaerobic. Most listeners think, oh, that's just guts to the wall interval training. No, that includes strength training because strength training is anaerobic by nature. So that's that fine line that we need people to be listening to and paying attention so they don't hurt themselves. Yeah, for sure. I think that, <clears throat> would, would you and this is something you can perhaps educate me on a little bit but <laughs> if if again if we've built our tolerance up to strength work in the pre-season or off-season so like so use a round number if we can squat 100 kilos which i'm not saying you have to be able to squat 100 kilos but sure. it's, it's a round sure. number, it's a number. Yeah. <laughs> so and i would agree like going when you when you go hard and you max out your strength like it, it's like like you said, perhaps we haven't got our heart rate right up, but it is still stressful on the system, on the nervous system, obviously. So if we've built our tolerance up there in the off season and then say in season, we squat 50 kilos, is that, would you think that that's still going to contribute to the anaerobic if our tolerance is sort of is adapted to it? That's a very, very good question because it really goes back to how many hours and then really looking at, like you said, strength training is so, you know, it's kind of that formula one, it's straight up and straight down, straight up and straight down. But that's what makes you a great coach because you realize even though the heart rate isn't going to fall into that anaerobic category, you realize that 40, 50, 90 minutes 
has got to be attributed to anaerobic load. Most of the listeners are going to think anaerobic is just interval based. So for someone like yourself, when you write your training protocols, you know that that athlete's going to be in the gym for 40 minutes. So you add it up and you say, okay, that's what, that's why I think the listeners need a good performance coach. I'm not here to sell. I'm not here to try to sound like a platform, but most athletes just want to show up and say, all right, what's the workout today? They want you behind the scenes going, okay, I'm trusting you that you're not going to overextend me. You're not going to push my adrenals. You're not going to be the coach that says, hey, let's go on a calorically restricted diet. You're giving them some outlines and guidelines because you're always finding that balance between total load, let's call it aerobic and anaerobic, some total 100%, to the two variables of recovery, food and, and sleep, quality and quantity. Yeah. So to answer your question, absolutely you've got to be able to pull that percentage over and say, okay, we got three strength workouts in you as an elite athlete, you as a recreational weekend warrior, you general fitness, which is all three of them are extremely important. What I want the listeners to understand is you understand that the individual is a stay at home mom with two little ones. Her stress is completely different than the stress of an elite athlete. Does it make one worse than the other? No, we're not insinuating that whatsoever. You are looking at the human body, your client X, Y, and Z, how he or she responds to stress. But what's unique is you're looking at what the catalyst of the stress is and what's the ability to recover from it. The definition of overtraining, and I think I've said it almost every time we've had the privilege to be together, the definition of overtraining is simply doing more than you can absorb. Yeah. Now the variables associated with absorb is food, sleep, hydration, et cetera, et cetera. So no, it's a great point. And again, that's what makes you a good coach is it's not about just looking at a heart rate monitor saying, Oh, it's based off of heart rate, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of heart rate. It's, you know, behind the scenes that at a neuromuscular level, that's a lot of confusion and noise on the body. And it does take a long time to recover from it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's something important to note, like we're definitely not saying that don't to not do the high intensity training um, and just stick to low intensity. Like obviously that's, that's going to be detrimental to your long-term results, but it's just managing it and being well aware. Like you said, that's the biggest thing I find I've got, and I'm sure you'd be the same, some younger clients who they can tolerate a bit more of that high intensity training or, less recovery days whereas got some guys who are more closer to our age like like yeah. 40s yeah late 30s early 40s and and i know myself like i just can't tolerate it like i can't do any more than two days of high intensity training a week or else i just it cooks me like i'm done so yeah. it's it's, now, it's you bring looking, up i think i think we see like we we look at what these people post on their social media of them flogging themselves <laughs> And, yeah, and people just think, oh, that's how I've got to train every day. Um, yep. it's just it's it's a quick way. You've got one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel, essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I want you to uh, keep this into consideration from the listener's standpoint. You look at somebody like yourself, or you know, um, not trying to name drop here or whatever. You know, we we just struck an agreement with Jeff Ward right now. We're going to be working with a couple athletes together and stuff like that. When you talk to somebody like a Jeff Ward who didn't have the information that the younger generation has today, 
whether you want to call it internet, whether it's coaches like yourself, imagine spending 15, 20 years flogging yourself, not realizing you're doing the wrong thing. Then when you get into your early third, late thirties, early forties, here's where it gets a little bit nebulous, but I hope the listeners will follow. Your body starts to grow a resentment against that high level of intensity training. I mean, all you got to do is listen to Todd Waters talk about on Gypsy Tales. Like he didn't even want to walk into the gym. He's associated himself, or it may have even been Daniel Blair, or no, it may have even been GL or Ping. I don't remember which of the three, but they were talking about, no, it was GL, because he was saying yeah, yeah. he would walk into the gym thing. and his heart rate would start to elevate because <laughs> his Now think about that. That's, that not is, a good, that's not a good association with, with exercise. Not at all. But yet, like you said, you realize there's the importance of strength training, but because, and I hate to use this word, but because it was done incorrectly, his body has grown a resentment against it, but yet he's in the peak of his career. He's finally making the money. He's got the two-year deals. And what he needs to be doing, he's he's in a power struggle with his own body. He doesn't have a trainer yelling at him. He doesn't have a, a riding or, you know, a team manager. This is simply, and he articulated that this is literally a battle between him and his brain. So any parent that has a young athlete, keep it fun. Anybody who's coming into their prime, think about erring on the side of caution because it will, it will 100%, no pun intended. It will 100% increase the longevity of your career. Yeah. Now you get somebody like you and I that enjoys riding and we want to ride into our seventies and our eighties. Well, if you've baked yourself in those early years, then you hit that lull 35, 55. Well, then all we do is find ourselves being susceptible to being injured. We don't want to do the things we need to do because our brain is like, nope, I don't like that. Mm. Some of the listeners, they go, oh, it's just psychobabble. That doesn't make any sense. Well, when you step back and you realize and I hate to use this analogy, but if you've ever been around an animal that's been abused, we adopted a dog that was abused. And if I picked my foot up off the ground, that dog would drop immediately. Yeah. Because it had been programmed that if the foot came up, it was getting kicked. Yeah. Now, again, I don't like to use abuse as, a, as an analogy, but I want you to see this is a dog. And the dog's been programmed. Human beings become programmed. Weekend warriors become programmed. Elite athletes become programmed. Soccer moms become programmed. You know, some of us have some demons in our in our childhood where a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister said, oh, you'll never be an athlete. Well, as you've heard me say before, I can take 100 nails and put them into a fence post. I pound all the nails and I pull all the nails out. Well, the nails are gone, but the scars are still there. And again, I don't want to get all soft and fluffy, but I want people to understand this. There is a very finite balance. And even if you go back to your initial question, why are we doing what we're doing? When we're doing it, are we doing it out of guilt? Are we doing it out of desirable outcome, i.e. does behavior match what we want to come out of it? And then sitting down and saying to ourselves, are we really being, I hate to use this word, are we being kind to ourselves or are we punishing ourselves? Are we, you know, you would never take a motorcycle and run the oil low just to test the motor to see how how durable it really is. Yeah. But yet we do it to ourselves as humans. We're going to go in a mode of sleep deprivation, caloric restriction, dehydrated. Maybe have some issues going on with our spouse, our partners, whatever it may be. Well, this is not the ideal time to go doing a bunch of high intensity training and racing. 
But if you always apply what you're asking yourself to do and run it through the world of, me of mechanical, would you run the radiator low on fuel, or excuse me, on fluid? No, then why do you let yourself become dehydrated? You know, if, if you've got a brand new dirt bike and somebody straps a rusted chain on it and you know it's gonna rob the power out of it, then why do you shy away from foam rolling where that muscle can't slide and glide? Because that rusted chain is gonna rob that system, the whole motorcycle is a system, it's gonna rob it of energy. Well, if your muscles are sticking, you're robbing yourself of energy. If you don't eat enough calories and you keep running your dirt bike out of gas and you're 5K from the, the truck, you're like, this sucks. Well, eventually you start putting more fuel in. Well, why do you wait till you run out of energy to say, hey, maybe I should eat some more? I could give all kinds of analogies, but I want people when they're on struggle bus, run it through the world of mechanics. Because we don't do it to vehicles. We don't do it to motorcycles. We don't do it to trucks, but we'll damn sure do it to our body and go, hey, I don't know why the system broke down. You do, you just want to ignore it. And in all fairness, some people don't. But that's why I, I'm so thankful that there's people like yourself out there with your podcast, with your coaching services in person, as well as online. If anyone's not using you, even as a consultant, I think that's kind of silly. Uh, and that's, again, not a sales pitch. It's just, you've got the information at your fingertips. You've been there, you've done that, you've made some mistakes. We've all made mistakes as athletes. You add on top of that education. I mean, what is a library all about? Mikhail and I were just talking about this on our bike or on our run this evening. What is a library all about? It's a cliff note version to get where that last person left off. They're yeah. consolidating their knowledge and they're catapulting you to the next level. I mean, think about it today. Somebody is going to be born today that will be a brain surgeon in 40 years. Well, they've got to learn it. Where are they going to learn it from? Those who've already been there. Yeah. Well, do they sit there and try to figure it out themselves? Of course not. They go to school, they yeah. get a teacher. Why would they not get you? If you want to be leaner and faster, why would they not use you? Even if it's just a consulting basis. You know, that's what I love about you. You, you are willing to talk to people. It's not like, oh, for $4 and 99 cents, I'll do that for you. <laughs> you know? Look at your videos. I love your videos. I mean, skills on the bike or skills on the bike. <laughs> you know, I love it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's a great analogy. I love that analogy you use with it. And any, anyone that rides a bike or is even into cars perhaps can can sure. relate to that analogy. And it's it's so simple, but I guess it's easy to see when you de describe it like that. Um, but it, it is true. Like people, we, we tr often treat our, our bikes <laughs> with yeah. more, more respect than, than we do our own body sometimes. Well, somebody who um, may may follow me personally has heard me complain about this. I had a guy on social media that threw me under the bus and his comment was that I complicate the simplistic about health, wellness and performance. And it didn't I've got very thick skin. That doesn't really what that doesn't bother me as much as and and I don't want this to sound like a sexist statement. Most people will get in the car and if the key doesn't crank the car up, then they realize there's a problem. Well, you take that to the mechanic. Is the mechanic complicating when he's, he or she says you've got a distributor cap, you got this, you got that? Any, you know, male, female, doesn't matter. If you don't know what a distributor cap is, if you don't know what an alternator is, if you don't know what, but yet that's the language that the mechanic is telling you, and you go, I don't really care. Just fix my car. Here's 500 bucks, fix my car. Well, for someone like yourself as a performance coach, what maybe some of the social butterflies behind the keyboard. 
everybody that presents themselves to yourself has a need, a want, or a desire, and a frustration is keeping them from getting there, but they don't know how to fix the frustration because I'm not a car mechanic, but I know that he says the alternator went bad. And I know when I go back and I turn the key, it cranks up, he fixed my alternator. When somebody can't sleep and you give you give them a suggestion, nutrition, and you tweak their exercise intensity, duration, frequency, and they start sleeping better, but yet somehow the mechanical world has a different world of physiology, like somehow you have an agenda. I'm not trying to complicate the simplistic. I'm trying to clarify the complex. The complex frustration for you is you can't sleep. Your frustration is you can't go fast at the end of a three-hour race. You can't drop the hammer at the opening of a race. Whatever your it is, well, then why would they go and try to figure out themselves? You've got a gym sitting right behind you with all the fundamental equipment. You ride a dirt bike. And for those that are maybe a new listener to 100% strength, you know how to help people swim, bike, and run. So if you're a triathlete, you're a runner, you're a mountain biker, you do all of that. But most people don't realize that. Yeah. And that's what I think is pretty cool is it's not just about somebody who wants to twist a throttle and haul the mail. That's awesome. But anybody who's listening, struggling on losing three, four kilos, 30 kilos, you can do it. And you can help them understand why. And I want all the listeners to think about this. Someone like yourself will not only show what to do, but explain why it's happening. You have people that present themselves. They've been exercising. They've been smashing themselves. And then you start to get them to understand how the adrenals adapt. And they have that aha epiphany. Well, they don't need to spend three years trying to figure it out. They figure it out in three days. Yeah. Then they see the benefits and the changes in three weeks. And then in three months, their whole focus has changed because now instead of worrying about sleeping, they're like, I want to do, here's your goal, 5K. I want to finish a race. I want it. Awesome. Do you know what was causing it, i.e. you weren't fixing it? You fixed it. You know what you're doing. Now let's build on that. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's that's what I, I love the listeners that have given us the time in previous shows and even up to this point today. It's like, that's the cool part about a true human performance coach. And just like you heard me say on Gypsy Tales, and it's one of my platforms, coach accountability. Yeah. One of the things I love about you is I've listened to you answer questions when people will ask something and you'll take something very complex and make it simplistic. At the end of the day, where's the coach accountability? That's what I hope people see is a little bit different because when somebody says, you know, or somebody asks you a question and you just bark at them just because I said so, well, that, that doesn't, that doesn't, yeah, educate. doesn't help, doesn't help anyone. No, no. <laughs> and like you heard me say on the podcast, it just, at that point, you've made it all about yourself, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what I love about your approach is so much different than everybody else's because what's most important is that the athlete understands the individual understands the soccer mom understands why I wasn't getting where I wanted now I know what to do to get where I want and I can just keep it going. And yep. then the goals and the challenges just get bigger and bigger, which is awesome. Love it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool part of what we do. That's right. Absolutely. Um, so we've got, we got a few good questions actually for, from okay. some listeners I thought we might get through. Sort of, I guess, um, segueing off that, the intensity of the training. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first one probably be a good one to start off with, which will kind of segue into the second one, I think, from Trent. So 
I know he, I follow him on Instagram. He does, he predominantly does off-road riding. So like GNCC type events, like long endurance events on the dirt bike. So his question is when he's doing his base training, is he better off doing it on something like a wind trainer so he can keep his heart rate in that sweet spot? Um, And it doesn't matter if his heart heart rate fluctuates from that, that, that target he's trying to hit in his base training. To answer his first question, if he's got the mental fortitude to sit on that stationary trainer and control that environment, that's always going to be optimal. Now, the big key is, is for some of the listeners, the idea of sitting on a stationary trainer makes them lose their mind. They want to be outdoors. They want to see activity. They want to be moving down the road. Again, we go back to there's no exact percentage. Somebody will declare there is, but I'll argue with them that there isn't. Let's say that he's going to go ride two hours base training. And let's say 1% of that is going into zone three. He hasn't, he hasn't ruined anything whatsoever. It's when you start seeing double digits because if you live in an area where there's some undulations, you're inevitably going to have to get out of the saddle. I'm not saying you have to, you know, boast, you know, just blow it out going up the hill. But when you stand up, that's just another reason why people may not understand when you're in a seated position on a road bike, the heart rate will always be lower because as soon as you stand up and you start rocking the bike, the blood's got to distribute it to the upper body for the working muscles. So this is where it gets a little complicated, but if I'm, if I'm making it complicated, you can pull me back. If you're riding at 15 K 20 K 30 K coming up to the base of a hill, it's okay to go up that hill at 5 K to stay in that heart rate zone. I think what happens and trips a lot of people up is if they're at 30 K on the flat, they think they've got to be 30 K on the incline. And now they're into zone three and this gets beyond the scope of tonight, but if they don't have a good aerobic engine, their ability to recover at the top of the hill, it may linger. So at the end of the ride, let's use two hours. Next thing you know, 22 minutes of it's been in zone three or four. What screwed them is they don't have the aerobic engine to bring it down and they went too fast up the face of it. And I like what the way he described it. If it's true base training, you can never go too slow in base training. Don't you don't yeah, take well, my word for it. That's Look what I was gonna things. say. We're probably better off going a bit lower, aren't we, than a bit higher. Like say, like for most people, say it's one thirty five, say that's like your your glass ceiling, we wanna call it. Yep. So you're better off staying under that by five or ten beats than going over it by five to ten Always. beats, aren't we? Always. Because again, if you start getting into those upper ranges, your ability to increase that aerobic engine and particularly the capillary beds is minimized Yeah. because the body goes into a paradigm shift where it's like, okay, instead of just trying to build an aerobic engine, capillary beds, use fat for fuel and all of its benefits, the body goes, Hey, wait, we're starting to get this accumulation of lactic acid. The body, no pun intended, switches gears and goes, focus is not just about cruising. It's about performance. Well, all of the development criteria, it stops. This is when we start looking at complexity of food. When your body is always, its number one goal, as you've heard me say before, is always to avoid heat stroke. So if you're sitting at 75, 80% of effort, yeah, digestion's in the equation, but you start pushing above that 80, 85% into 90, it's going to shut digestion down and only focus on not dying of heat stroke. So that's why we start to get it, you know, our gut backs up because digestion gets shut down. Same thing applies here. If you're trying to, and I love, I, I think he says his name was Trent. 
I yeah. like what Trent used was the base training. You can't go too easy. I love what you said. Stay off that glass ceiling by 10 beats and you'll always come out ahead at the other side of it. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, I think we were talking about it last time you were over. I'm well, next thing on my list to get is an e-bike because you've yeah. been to, you've been to my place. Like there's, you can't go for a flat ride around here. Like, no, it doesn't exist. Even to get out my driveway to get onto the road is like, yeah, it's like a 45 degree. Yeah. So I, I've trained myself to do it. Like I can do it now. I can keep my heart rate under 140 and go for a long ride, but it is challenging. Yeah. And you, sometimes you're back to snail's pace, but I kind of enjoy that because it is, it's another mental, it brings that mental discipline into it. Like, Obviously, you're smashing yourself, sprinting up a hill, trying to hit a number takes yep. mental discipline. But it also takes mental discipline to hold yourself under a number. And even if you're on a bit, of, if you're on a mountain bike single track, like it's quite challenging to go really slow, keep your heart rate down, and still balance, pick a line through rock. So it kind of brings another dynamic to it. I find. A hundred percent. And we can, because uh, I know you've got some questions there, and I want to get through them for the next time we're on air together. Let's talk about if you want to increase or you want to break out of a speed rut, you've got to change your pace up. And I love what you just said. You're sitting there at 5K, 10K. The balance is completely different than if you're flying downhill at 40K. Yeah. The bot, the eye-hand coordination balance, one of the quickest ways to break a speed rut is to change the speed. And we again, I don't want to go down a bunny, a bunny trail there, but yeah. If the listeners are interested in that, we could talk about how to break speed ruts by changing up the pace. Now, it's kind of interesting. You're saying, hey, if you have to ride up that hill at 10K pace to stay in the heart rate zone, that's okay because that's your focus of base training. Yeah. If it's an anaerobic threshold workout and we need to be up in those upper ranges, then the, the whole platform, yeah. the whole approach changes. Thank but you. it's interesting, like you said, there's a tremendous amount of benefits on those easier rides. Balance is by far yeah. one of them. 100%, yeah. 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 That's cool. It's just it's switching your mindset to it a little bit, I think, yeah. makes a big difference there. It's just understanding the purpose of the workout. Is yeah. If you're not going to be browbeating them that their average speed wasn't X, Y, or Z, instead you compliment them that their average heart rate, given 3,000 feet of climbing, well, guess what? You know, If, if you go out and you do 1,000 meters of climbing up and down, and you stayed in heart rate zone two, you built strength. Doesn't matter speed, you built strength because you went 2,000 meters up and yeah. you built the aerobic engine. Isn't that really what base training is all about? So that's a great question by Trent. Can't ever go too easy. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, just like you said, it, he actually had two questions, Trent. hit. So his yeah. was not necessarily about the speed rut, which I think is where you were kind of alluding to there with the terms of intensity on the bike, but on the motorbike talking about um he said that he also struggles he's tried to do like a a lower intensity effort on his moto but Mm -hmm. he said like to get his heart rate anywhere under 160 feels like he's just crawling around the track so he said is he said should he be doing all his motos at race pace or should he be trying to do some of that lower intensity work on the moto as well he needs to change up the pace for sure Now, in all fairness to himself, if you're on a track that's just completely, you know, super ruddy, G'd out, you kind of have to recognize that it's more dangerous to go slow because you end up facing everything. And that's 
and I know not everybody has this luxury, but if you know that you're going to go out and you're going to run three thirties, you're going to run four thirties and you're going to stay in heart rate zone, low end of, you know, three top end of two, you've got to go to a track that's conducive for it where you can flow a little bit more. I don't know Trent's riding ability, but if he's out in the bush a lot, or if he does use the track to do, you're going to have to choose the track that's conducive for it. And I know that again, not to be redundant, I know that's not always ideal, but if you know you got to keep your heart rate down, don't be afraid to go to a track that's relatively smooth and easy. And I'm glad you bring this up because I'm, I'm getting more and more of an opportunity to get riders to understand when I'm training a professional triathlete, a professional cyclist, a professional runner, we work on energy systems. Yeah. So if you think about, we've all heard these buzzwords, aerobic, anaerobic, aerobic, lactate tolerance, aerobic, lactate threshold, all these buzzwords. Think about it as a carburetor. As you roll that slide channel up, as that chamber goes up, RPMs are going up. Same thing applies here. When you look at this, if you're going out on the motorcycle, let me, I'm sorry, let me digress. If I have a professional runner and that professional runner is going to go out and run 30K on the weekend, that is a long, slow, easy run. But the focus is to teach the body to burn body fat. It's to drop body fat. It's to build strength to weight ratios. But then on Tuesday, we're going to the track and we're running 10 by 2K. And that needs to be at anaerobic threshold pace. Yeah. What I want people to understand is, in all fairness, yes, we do wonder what kind of pace that intensity produces. But what we're more interested in is could he or she go out and do 10 by 2K and have less than a five-second deviation between the fastest and the slowest at that intensity range? Yeah. I like what you said earlier. Let's say 135 is easy. So let's add 30 to that. If I'm building Ben's lactate threshold, he's not enhancing that energy system until his heart rate gets above 165. So we see this happening quite a bit when people self-train themselves. They don't have accurate heart rate zones. They're out doing anaerobic threshold intervals only to find out that they never pushed the intensity high enough. So they never got there. 100%. So the energy system never improves. Goes back to what Trent was saying. If you're trying to build your aerobic engine on the dirt bike, my biased opinion is it's easier to do it cross-training. Now, when you're trying to build that top end speed, I also want to be a little bit careful because there's a lot of damage that can happen. Obviously, fifth gear tapped and you have a get off trying to improve that lactate threshold engine. That's the catch 22 because I can build the same lactate threshold engine on a skier, a bicycle or a rower, but I'm not pushing and pulling a 300K bike around. Yeah. So that's where someone like yourself you're trying to get the athlete to understand what does that balance look like? How much can we do off the bike safely? How much of that parlays to on the bike and how much of that can we parlay to race simulation? You got to tie in the conditions, i.e. the track that you're riding, know your accurate heart rate zones. And God, this drives me nuts. Understand the reason why you're out there. Yeah. You know, it's that it, so many people are just starting hammering because everybody's hammering. Well, why are you there? Are you yeah. there to build endurance? Are you there to work right-hand drills? Are you there to work timing on? I, I don't know what your focus is, but we kind of gravitate towards what everybody else is doing. And then say you leave there and you burnt three tanks of gas, but you still stuck in, you still suck in right-hand corners. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> you didn't go there and fix the problem or at least address the problem, you yeah. know? Now I look at it from an energy standpoint. If we know that your sprint speed isn't good, we need to be dropping fives, threes, and twos. And I need to make sure the heart rate's up there. This is where I want your listeners to think about it. If I don't get my heart rate high enough, I didn't address the system on the bike. If I don't get the heart rate high enough off the bike, I haven't addressed the energy system to be better on the bike. And that's why people need someone like yourself because they need to know that your heart rate zones are going to change whether you use a bicycle, a mountain bike, a skier, a concept two, a run, swimming. But you can help them understand if that top end speed is your energy system that's lacking, you have the ability to show them how to build that off the bike. Yeah. I don't know if this is sound like a textbook or so, but what I love about what you do is you've shown people that their testing should emulate their training and their racing should emulate testing, but most people don't know how to train. They don't know how to evaluate and then they get frustrated on race day and they go, I've been training for three months and I still, I have the same frustration. Well, they don't realize how to break it because it's not been broken down for them. I'm not trying to sell coaching. I'm trying to get people more excited about what's the quickest way to get to where I want to be. Get somebody who knows how to eliminate the frustrations. Yeah. That's why I appreciate your show. I appreciate what you do, you know, at your gym and at the track and at your own facility. And I mean, it's just awesome. We need, you know, we need more of you. (laughs) We need more of you. I think what something you just touched on there, which kind of comes back to what we spoke of at the start a little bit of about about like separating our base training and our high intensity training and, and people who are out there who are doing their hit training every day of the week or every other day of the week. Sure. Um, I know that there's actually, there is some, some really good CrossFit coaches out there, I think who do manage, Absolutely. they have an understanding of that and they manage their work to rest ratios, et cetera, et cetera. But there's like yeah. F45 is a big thing over here and it's just, it's random. Um, so, but like you said, then people are probably going and doing that every day of the week or every other day of the week, thinking that they're training their, perhaps training their anaerobic energy system, but quite often they're probably not even getting there because they're not actually, they're just sitting in that, under that threshold. Um, cause they haven't got the strength. They haven't got the aerobic base to go above it. So they end up just having this one gear where they're just grinding away all the time, which never actually gets any better. Well, you just ripped a really big scab off because you have a couple things. If you don't have the strength base and you don't have the aerobic engine, you won't be able to get to where you said, get to that next level. Now, let's say that they, let's say on Monday, Ben has the strength and the endurance where he can really smash Monday's workout. Well, he doesn't give himself enough time to adequately recover. He comes in and smashes himself on Tuesday because he's got the residual fatigue from Monday, the quality of Tuesday is now diminished. Comes in Wednesday, he's got the residual fatigue of Monday, Tuesday, and now he's going to smash Wednesday. Now we start compromising biomechanics. So now the risk of injury goes up. We've overloaded the adrenal system. We've created a tremendous amount of oxidative stress. Now we're at Wednesday thinking we're really, really, you know, we're digging deep. We're pushing the envelope. When all you've done, and you've heard me say this, and we've talked about it on your show, the only two things that'll reduce the improvement, 1% improvement every day, the only two things that'll keep that from happening is an injury or an illness. So go back to what you just said. 
if you don't have the strength base and you don't have the aerobic engine, you can't complete Monday. But let's say Ben does because he's in good shape, but he hammers it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Where's he at by Thursday? Where's he at by Friday? Oh, and let's go ride this weekend. Yeah. You just essentially, let's go back to the parallel of a motor. For anybody that rides motocross, rides off-road, keep that bike in second gear and just ring it out on the track. And I want you to go to the track every day and only ride in second gear particularly high, high speed tracks, like let's say Mount Kembla. Yeah. Okay. Only run it in second gear, uphill and downhill everywhere. And do that for five days. And, and then let's talk about the premature fatigue on a motorcycle. But yet, as, as we said at the onset of today's show, you that all of a sudden the rules change on the human performance side, but you would never go out and run. I don't care what size bike you're running. You would never go out and ride it for 30 minutes in second gear only. Do that three sessions and do that five days in a row but yet people think they could submit their bodies to it because they've got some instructor that's super buff going this, I can do it. Well, let's be clear. A lot of those people are out shooting synthetic HGH and taking other elements to help themselves recover. That's not blaspheming anybody. It's true. How do I know it's true? Because I've had some of those people report to our wellness center saying, look, this is what I've done. I've been doing CrossFit for X amount of years and I'm crushed. And yeah. I always ask the same question. Well, how did you sustain it? And they come clean. I went to the doctor, told, told him I couldn't get an erection. So now I've got testosterone. I told him I couldn't sleep. So now I'm getting, you fill in the blank, whether it's yeah. HGH, testosterone, I can go on and on. That's not my point. My point is, is don't buy into the Coca-Cola syrup of somebody up there saying, well, I can do it. You can do it. Look, I can't go through the bush as fast as you can. I'll be the first one to admit it. Okay. But I'm not going to come out there and make the declaration, oh, yeah, I can hang with Ben until I wad myself up trying to keep up with you. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And that's what I want the listener to understand is these principles of nutrition and physiology. We want people, we don't need you to understand it at a master's degree education level, but we do want you to see that there's a process and a system if you're willing to listen. And that's what I, that's why I appreciate shows like yourselves. Because at podcasts, we may have a thousand people that will have a mental epiphany and that makes all of our time together worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. Now, what they do with that, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll contact you, not because they have to buy something, but they have a quick question or they email you. Because I've seen some of the responses that you're kind enough to carbon copy me on. You give extensive background. You give the, hey, here's why you're where you're at. Here's what you could do to turn it around. Give it a shot and let me know. You're not like, oh, for $19.99, <laughs> I'll send you this email back with all your solutions to your problems for me or not. And obviously that's, you know, whether, I mean, any, all anyone's got to do is follow you on Instagram and know that you're not after the dollar. You really want to make people more knowledgeable of the right way to do it. So it's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So we've got, we've got one more quickly. Yeah. So now I'm appreciative yeah. of your time. Um, no, no one worries. more from Aaron, who I think is from the States, actually, another one off off Instagram, but he races outdoors at an amateur level over there. So he said he's, since he's only doing like five, six lap motos, which are kind of like 10, 15 minutes, perhaps for his training, is he, again, we're coming back to this, the intensity question, we've probably kind of covered it again, but um, for him, is he more beneficial doing short, high intensity workouts, or is he all focusing on his longer endurance type ones? Very good question, and it, it does fall right in line with all what we've talked about tonight. 
I want Aaron to think about this. If you go to your high quality workouts already tired, you're going to get less out of that workout. And let me elaborate. What we see a lot of times, particularly at an amateur level of racing, is they're easy days. They go to the track. They start to emulate what everybody else is doing. They deviate from why they're there. So let's just use a hypothetical that Tuesday, you and I ask Aaron, those are the days you're going to do your high quality speed work. Um, I manage uh, Ricky Carmichael's goat farm and we call them accountability sets. We take some numbers from earlier in the day and we put a number together and you have to hold that pace based on the way the track's broken down, the water levels, blah, 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 accountability set. So if you and I say, Aaron, here's your accountability set on Tuesday, and then you push the envelope too hard on Monday, what you've done is you've gone too hard on your easy days leaves you flat for your quality days. So what is your net gain after two days? Zero or negative. And that's the part that we have to be careful with is we need Aaron to understand he needs a coach that says, okay, here's our total volume for the week. Here's the percentage of aerobic and anaerobic off the motorcycle. Here's the percentage of aerobic and anaerobic on the motorcycle. The motorcycle always supersedes off the bike. So this is how we answer Aaron's question specifically. You're going to go to the track on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. You're going to go to the track one day a week. Well, a performance coach is going to say, okay, let's go, let's go from worst case to best case scenario. If you're in school and you've got other obligations and you can only ride one day a week, someone like Ben is not going to have you coming into Saturday's ride session already chewed up because you're just simply not going to get anything out of Saturday but yet you want to be fast when you go to your national races. That's where periodization comes in where you say, okay, you may feel like you're sandbagging during the week, but we're trying to get you ready for the weekend. Then we want to make sure you recover from the weekend. So you may not be doing as much speed work off the bike because you're absorbing Saturday, which is really your focus to get faster on skills and drills on a motorcycle. Now we slowly build that base of eight hours, eight and a half hours, nine and a half, 10 and a half, 12, 11, and then you peak at a regional, an area, or Loretta's. That's where performance coaches can really help you because a good performance coach isn't going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to, he or she's going to be able to help you understand how your body's responding. That's why Aaron has a great question. It's not The answer isn't, yes, do four-lap sprints to be a better sprinter. The answer is not do 330s to build an aerobic engine to be a better sprinter. It's how does it all come together? And you're in just for some of the listeners, that's where periodization comes in between a micro, a macro, excuse me, a micro, a meso, macro. I mean, everybody's got different descriptions on whether it's a micro, a macro, a meso or whatever. For somebody that doesn't understand periodization, think about today's workout contributes to the purpose of today. And today fits into the seven day focus and the seven day focus fits into a six week or an eight week training cycle those training cycles to get dropped against a calendar so that we have preseason, pre-competitive and competitive phases. So we've kind of talked a little bit about it and I may have been remiss by not addressing that, but hopefully with Aaron's questions, it makes a little bit more sense. I would be remiss to say, yep, do nothing but sprint work to be better at sprinting. It's not going to work. I'd also be remiss by saying, don't do anything anaerobic, do everything aerobic. I'd be remiss because that's not true either. That's where you got to blend it together and, like you said, Ben, if you go back to the top of the conversation, your ability to absorb 
dictates how much you can take on and how much you can take on is based on what you can absorb food and rest quality quantity. I don't want that to sound rhetorical. That's just the way it works. That's why the type of business that you and I are in is we're an analytics company. We're going to encourage you to do certain workouts, but you'll know why, and you'll know the why and how it contributes to Aaron's question about being a better sprinter, being able to have, you know, eliminate that late moto fatigue, be a better sprinter out of the blocks. It's not about you. Nobody wants to talk to you and I. What people want to talk about is why can't I sprint? Why do I get tired at the end of the race? Why do I keep having this nagging injury? Why can't I sleep at night? That's what we want. That's what rather people want from us. So great questions. Yep. And I I, hope Aaron hit you up or hit me up if they have more questions. Yeah, I guess it it probably comes back to that little bit of a mindset shift too. Again, if if he can understand the why behind doing the base sessions, then perhaps he's he's one or two high intensity sessions a week. If he, he knows the base session is contributing to his aerobic engine and his recovery. Then when he gets to his high intensity workout, he's like, right, I'm ready to go and give it. Um, now take it one step. This is where it becomes a little bit dangerous. If he's working with a riding coach and he only sees a riding coach one day a week, the riding coach is always going to want smash fest. Yeah. You know, if he had, if he, uh, I'm saying he, because of Aaron's question, if Aaron goes to a strength and conditioning coach, that strength and conditioning coach wants those top performances because that's my time. You know, that's the strength and conditioning coach's time with Aaron. If And then you have a moto dad from hell. So the moto dad is like, I'm paying all this money and you're not getting faster. And the, the moto dad sees the riding coach not blistering the rider. So then he fires the riding coach and then he goes to the gym and he's not doing old school ball busting workouts. So he fires the coach. He's, I mean, it, that's where you have too many chiefs and not enough Indians. A riding coach, for the most part, this is strictly off of my experience. This isn't a, to blaspheme anybody's name. Most riding coaches, when you ask them why they do what they do, they'll say, because that's what my riding coach told me to do. And look at all the success I had. That doesn't mean it's going to work for Ben. Yeah. Now, if you want to explain physics and balance on the bike and the integration of it all, great. But what I what I get a little bit concerned about with young riders, even older riders, is you got dad barking in your ear, you got riding coach barking in your ear, you got sports psychologist in your ear, nutritionalist in your ear, strength and conditioning coach, massage therapist, and they're all yin and yang, and nobody knows what anyone else is doing. And again, that's why you have to, there is nothing. This was a question that was posed to me by Whiskey Throttle. I have never seen a sport more difficult than riding a motorcycle because of all the gear we wear, the size of the bike that we ride, the weight of it, offsetting velocity, speed. I mean, I said it, and I apologize for anybody who listened to the podcast, but can you imagine riding your mountain bike or riding your road bike with all your motocross gear on? Yeah. I mean, helmet, goggles, boots, jersey. I mean, there's not another sport that has that much surface area of the skin covered, but that's the sport we love. But yet, you've got people that sit in a gym and are going to tell you that they know how to make you strong specific to pushing and pulling a dirt bike. No, the fallout. And and I'm going to sound like a real smart ass when I say this, doing this for 37 years and seeing the frustration level of parents and kids coming in saying, I've done all this work for three years and I still suck. Those exact words were said to me at Loretta's this last year. The mom was extremely mad the, the, the rider had been at a facility. They had no hydration strategy. They had no warm up. They had no 
her exact words were my kid, pardon my language, my kid is shitting the bed on the starting gate. He doesn't know how to acclimate. He's not handling the heat. He's exhausted and it's only Wednesday. And they're like, well, why did I pay all this money? And I'm like, uh, I'm not bad mouthing facilities. I just think that the riders and the parents listening to your podcast should be able to go into a facility and be able to get answers to why Johnny is five kilos lighter than when they got here. Why can't they finish a 15, 20, 30 minute moto, depending on what they're racing for? Why can't Johnny touch his toes? Why is Johnny a nervous wreck all the time? Why can't Johnny sleep through the night? A parent can't ask that question and get a legitimate answer. You, you, I have a problem with that. Coach accountability, facility yeah. accountability. <laughs> That's why we have a network of Moto E coaches. So I have a network of Moto E facilities because you being a rider should be able to ask any one of my facility managers why the heck we're doing what we're doing in the gym or on the bike. Yeah. I'm not overstepping my bounds with Jeff Ward as a riding coach, Ronnie Tishner as a riding coach, Ricky Carmichael as a riding coach, but I will be able to explain what the rider needs to do to do what Ricky's asking them to do. For sure, that's yeah. me serving the facility, serving the rider, serving Ricky and Miss Carmichael. You yeah, know, and that's not name dropping. I want people to realize this is real world stuff we're talking about. Yeah. So, great question there. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's it. I mean, right now we have Seth Hammaker. Um, he's got a two-year deal with Mitch in the Pro Circuit rig. And so obviously this this isn't just ideologies. This is his career's relying on it. We have Logan Best with Factory Yamaha on an 85 uh, with Triangle Yamaha as well. And, you know, this this is his path. This isn't just, oh, we like to ride on the weekends. This is – he's on Team Dunlop. He's on Team FXR. I mean, all of us when we're young kids want this stuff, and then they get it. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, I have this pressure to sustain it. That's where I love people like yourself is the young riders don't need to worry about sustaining it. Just do what you've done to get here. But if the parents and the riders don't understand what they did, then they doubt everything, especially yeah. when they start getting managers and all the other sponsors. Well, so, and I think they have to complicate it sort of thing. And I don't understand what I've done to get there. <laughs> well, just like Todd Waters said, you know, when he's got all these people saying that he's just whatever he, he kind of, if you watch the podcast on gypsy tales, people telling him he sucks and he needs to change this and he needs to change that. And he's like, stop, stop. Yeah. I just need to race today is all I need to do. Yeah. The bike doesn't suck. I don't need to change 500 pieces on the bike. I just need to kind of gel with it. I need to figure, you know, and I loved what Todd said and I hope people understand that was Todd off the cuff. That was, I mean, just like our podcasts, our podcasts are not, they're not, staged they're they're not canned that was yeah. Todd talking from his heart like seriously you know you're doubting everything but mm. everybody's looking for somebody to blame as you know yeah unfortunately yep. I, love, I love his mindset his outlook on things Todd I, I love that podcast if I, if I could get people to drink that oh my gosh what a better what a better place racing would be like hey we're just here I love his dad good job bud and he just goes back to talking to his buddies and having a beer. He's like, you got 10th. That's awesome. Hey, you won. That's awesome. He, he, same reaction, no matter what. Yeah. And I think everybody should be that way. I mean, it's not like anybody goes out and rices. Well, I guess there's always an exception, but for the most part, you know, when you put this much sweat equity and resources into riding a dirt bike recreationally or professionally and everywhere in between, nobody goes out and falls on purpose and nobody goes out and blows their start and all That's these right. frustrations Exactly, and now you got a yeah. family driving home in silence. Like, really? 
I, I just don't understand it. It's like <laughs> little guy didn't buy the bike. The little guy didn't drive you to the races. The little guy didn't put a gun against your head and say, take me racing or I'm going to go AWOL. But yet everybody's pissed off at each other because the rider didn't race to his ex, the parents' expectations. Yeah. It's just crazy to me, you know? It's yeah, all I fun. It, well, it, and that's probably the biggest thing I, I take away from that, those podcasts with Todd is like, obviously your training has to be serious to an extent, but when you do the work correctly off the bike, it just means when race day comes, you can have fun. There's no ex, there's no pressure. There's no stress or, or anything else that has to sort of comp- compound onto yourself. Cause you are there just to have fun, which is like he said, that's why we started riding the freaking bike in the first place. So <laughs> That's exactly it. And if you take his comment, you know, when he's not winning everything, the first thing the team manager says is you're not fit enough. That's always the go-to. And I just find that interesting because as you heard me say in the podcast, I can show the human telemetry information. I've, I've, I've learned over the years what the, what the owners want to see. And it's no different than if you buy a motor from pro circuit and you get the dyno report, Mitch has no, excuse me, Mitch has no vested interest in embellishing what those dyno reports are going to say. You're paying a price for a motor to perform at a certain level. And the way you change the configuration of the gearing and the fuel and the jetting and all that produces an outcome. Well, what, and I don't want this to sound arrogant to the listener, what you and I do differently than any other company that's out there is we show the human telemetry So if an athlete comes off the track and he's averaging his max heart rate or on par on what we've seen in training, that's the best we could get out of that rider that day. Now, if he's struggling with the track or he's struggling with the conditions of the track or obstacles on the track, guys, that's racing. Get over it. Mm. Nobody's going to go out and nail every portion of the entire track flawlessly for the duration of the race. Ricky Carmichael fell. Kevin Windham fell. Villapoto fell. Roxon falls. AC falls. I mean, Nobody, I mean, my goodness, let's use AC at Vegas. Yeah. I mean, did yeah, anybody think sure. you really put that on the ground on purpose? <laughs> yeah. You know? So my point in all that is it's just racing. At the end of the day, if we can show that the rider can match or surpass what he did in training physically, and he's dialed his nutrition in and his lap times were consistent, and we got straight up fourth place today, we're a fourth place guy on those on that track in those conditions. That's right. But immediately, if we don't have every single weekend win – the program's not working. Well, we got to start looking for excuses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I, I'll be the first one to say on public record, and I've said it on all these podcasts, is it's always the fitness program. It's always a fitness program. Always yep. a fitness program. And I'm not boo-hoo-hoo, wah-wah-wah. I know what I'm walking into. Yeah. But right. I can look the athlete in the eye and say, you know what? There's no way that you could be any fitter. You could be any healthier and because I know you're fit and you're healthy, you're as fast as I know you're capable of. Yeah. Now that doesn't always make me popular, but like you've heard me say before, I'll never put performance in front of health. I'll never put performance in front of the wellness of somebody. That's irresponsible, which brings me back to a huge soapbox on coach accountability. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll spare your listeners on it. <laughs> any, any coach that roaches an athlete should have some kind of ramification. And I don't know... I will take my last breath on the face of the earth doing that. Whether you're a triathlete, a cyclist, a runner, a motocrosser, these coaches cannot burn these athletes out. 
at a professional or even an athletic or excuse me, an amateur level. And then as soon as that athlete is literally a chewed up piece of burnt meat, they just jump to somebody else and move on. That's bullshit. And I have a hard time with that. Yeah. It's not a good outcome for people. No, it's not. And unfortunately a lot of people are buying the t-shirt and they're getting roached and then their careers cut short. And I think somebody, you and I could do a whole podcast on it. You know, my mantra is if you work with us, there's an accountability factor. If they work with you, there's an ability. Cause like I said, on, on the podcast, if somebody comes to me and tells me they've been diagnosed with Epstein-Barr, I've let you down. But on the flip side, when I show you that you're on track of overtraining and I ask you to pull back, you have a responsibility to respect that because I'm not doing it on emotion. I'm doing it on biofeedback. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to wait until you burn yourself to say, ah, I told you so. Yeah. There's the difference. Not because I think I'm Superman or I'm super kind or all this other. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. All I'm saying is if you don't want to buy that t-shirt and get diagnosed with Epstein-Barr, then be open to what we're doing to keep it from happening before it happens. That's that, that concept of a diseased tissue, a diseased organ system, just because we threw disregard to blood reports that come back that give you a lot of information that you can make some executive decisions on. So yeah. I love these questions because what Trent had asked and what Aaron had asked would keep them from going down that path and, I love it. I'm glad that they're sending those questions into you. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So I, if, if anyone's got anyone listening, if I've got any more questions, send them through because we'll get them, get them answered on the next one. I think there's some great value in there today for the listeners for sure. So thank you for that coach Rob. hundred percent. And and please send the questions in. If we don't answer them in the next podcast, pl- uh, please trust us. We'll archive them and we will definitely get, because if any, if you're going to take the time to send the question in to Ben, we're going to answer them hundred yeah, percent for sure. Absolutely. So hopefully once, well, not hopefully, but no doubt once this, the virus is, is out of the way and we're allowed to travel again, we'll hopefully see you back over here for some yeah, more. Uh, we will make it happen for sure. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. That's all good. Thanks for coming on. Take care, bud. Bye.